Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. We're going to talk for a couple of weeks on the subject of prayer. Now, so often we think about prayer, we just think about talking to God. But really, it is so much more. Uh, it's a conversation. Uh, in fact, I'd like to begin in Genesis chapter 5. Right? Um, here we find in the 21st verse about the life of a guy by the name of Enoch. It says that he lived 65 years. He begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, something happened when he begot Methuselah. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. He had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, he's not the only one who walked. with The next chapter talks about Noah. It says that he walked with God. But notice, he walked with God for 300 years. Uh, finally, one day, they're out having a conversation, and it's time to go home. And Enoch says, hey, it's time to go home. And God said, well, it's closer to my house than yours. And they went to heaven. He's been there ever since. Never died. Now, this, this same Enoch uh, is mentioned in the New Testament. At the end of the New Testament, it's the book of Revelation. And right before that is a little book called Jude. Just one chapter. But it says in there about Enoch, it says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also. So this is his also prophecy. Now, the first prophecy we just read about, but it's easy to pass over. Now, both of them have to do with judgment. He prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. So his also prophecy is about the end of what we would call the age. Right? Now, you hear people today talking about the end of the world. Why don't you listen to me? The end of the world is nowhere close. Right? Because if Jesus came back today, he's going to set up a kingdom and rule and reign for a thousand years. Right? So, so like the end of the world is not anywhere. In, like it's not even close. Now, listen, the end of human government is close. Praise the Lord. Right? We're going to see the end of human government when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. So he's coming back. The Lord comes back with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So there's this also prophecy that has to do with the end of the age. You see, Enoch's a prophet. He lives 65 years, and he begets Methuselah. And after he gets, begets Methuselah, he walks with God. Right? Now, for 300 years. Now, let me just say something. You know, when we, we talk about walking with God, people think, oh, you know, they're real spooky people. You know, they're super weird, spiritual. Listen, he walked with God for 300 years and had sons and daughters. How many of you know what had sons and daughters means happened at Enoch's house? You say, why do you say that? Because some people think that if you get really close to God, you get weird. 
You don't get weird. Enoch was not weird. Right? In fact, what we are supposed to do as New Testament believers is we're supposed to walk with God. You realize we are the bride of Christ, right? My bride's sitting right down here. Now, we've been married, I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, I know we're married. I mean, I'm thinking how long. <laughs> I think we've been married for 46 years. I'm pretty sure, but not too sure. Is that right? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, okay, 46 years. All right. Now, now she's, my, she's my bride. We are Christ's bride, all right? So uh, get up in the morning, and, and usually I get up before her now. It used to be she got up first. In fact, when we first got married, every morning at 5 o'clock, she would jump out of the bed and dance around the bed. Now, she's not dancing around the bed anymore. <laughs> now, I usually beat her up. I go in, read my Bible for about an hour. So come back in, and uh, we do our confessions together. Right? We, we uh, talk a little bit. Later on, we'll have a, a little breakfast. Unless she's at a prayer meeting, we'll have breakfast together. And uh, then I'll come into work, and, and uh, I'll text her and say, hey, what's going on? And, and she'll call me and ask me about something, and then I'll call her. You know, and then I get, I get home, and like, hey, what's, what's going on? What are we going to do? And How many realize that we have a relationship? We do life together, right? See, that's what I do with my bride, but that's what Jesus wants to do with his bride. And you and I are his bride. Right? Our relationship with God should not be something that's stiff. So he begets Methuselah, and he walked with God. Now, the name Methuselah means when he dies, judgment will fall. Now, if you run the genealogy, Methuselah dies, Noah goes into the ark, and judgment falls. Now, how many of you wouldn't want to have a name like at your death, judgment falls. I mean, like everybody like, stay away from that guy. Don't mess with him. Don't mess with him. All right. But listen, when he saw that there was going to be a judgment day, both of his prophecies that are in the Bible have to do with judgment. Something happened. Right. And he walked with God. I'm going to tell you what happened. The fear of God. Now, n- not like this, I'm afraid, but this reverential awe of God that someday... I am going to give an account for everything that I do in this earth. When he saw there was going to be a judgment, the fear of God, the fear of God came upon him, and he walked with God. I believe that that there there is this tremendous vacuum of the fear of God in the church today. Recently, I was was, uh, with a Christian woman, and... uh, no, um, she's a, um, a divorced woman. And, and, and I said to her, because I knew some of the circumstances, I said, are you living holy? And she said, no, 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 but I've got peace. And I said, well, you're deceived. See, but listen, when, when you are willing to just keep living in sin, it's because you don't have the fear of God. The fear of God, the Bible says, is to turn away from evil. So when we fear God, we turn away from evil. Enoch... He began to live different when he understood that there was a judgment day, right? And it was the fear of God that came on him. In fact, Father, I pray right now for myself. I pray for this church. God, I pray for every person that's watching it. I pray that the fear of the Lord, the turn away from evil, the beginning of wisdom, 
Lord, that it would fall upon each one of us in Jesus' name. So he walked with God for 300 years, had sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 years. He was not because God took him. See, you and I can have that same type of a relationship. The apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3, that I may know him. Right? Not that I can just put in a prayer request and get an answer, right? but that I may know him. In Psalms 103, it says, He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. His ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. See, the children of Israel, they saw what God did. Right? They, they, they cried out, God, do this. God did something. Right? They saw his acts. But Moses, he knew his ways. He knew God. He didn't just know the what. He knew the why because he knew God. Smith Wigglesworth, the great evangelist of the first part of the 20th century, said this. He said, I seldom pray for a half an hour. He said, but I seldom go a half an hour without praying. Because it was a relationship. It was was walking with God. In James chapter 5, we see how powerful that prayer is. It says, uh, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Now, it's, it's that heartfelt prayer. Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? Now, <clears throat> typically a rabbi in that time, in, in the, 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 the Jewish religion, a rabbi would give his disciples certain prayers that they would pray. In fact, if, if you go to a Jewish synagogue today, um, most of the service is prayer, right? And it's all out of the book of Psalms. Almost all of it will be from the book of Psalms. You'll be praying the prayers from the book of Psalms. In fact, in, uh, for, for 1,700 years, when Christians prayed, most Christians prayed, how would we say it? Prayers that they had memorized or they prayed from a prayer book. You find any denomination that's over 250 years old, and there'll be prayer books. And they'll, hey, how to pray for your marriage, how to pray for your children, how, how to pray for your job, how to pray for forgiveness, how to pray. There'll be how to pray prayers, right? And uh, the, the impromptu prayers that most of us pray um, really came into the church about 250 years ago. Up until then, it was mostly prayers that had been either memorized or had been taught. And that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. Now, we call the prayer the Lord's Prayer, right? But he was teaching his disciples how to pray. We really should call this the disciples' prayer because it wasn't a prayer for Jesus. It was a prayer for his disciples. And he said to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, both now and forever. Now, if you pray that prayer, and you pray that prayer 
with intentionality. You pray it from your heart. You pray it with your mind engaged. Right? You have prayed a great prayer. Sometimes people think, well, I just got to pray for a certain amount of time. No. In fact, if you pray the same prayer and you pray, for the right, I'll be the name of the kingdom. Get your 50 fathers in. You did not pray a good prayer. Right? Because it has to do with your heart. Right? You're just trying to get something in. Or if you pray that prayer and you think, did I pray or not? You know, what did I, what did I pray? You know, you've got to pray it with intentionality. Right? And as we pray, all right, it's not just talking to God. There is a listening. In, in, so often we get an impression. Right? Uh, the Bible refers to the inner witness. Right? There's just something that you just suddenly you just have, this is what I should do. You know, there's this thought you didn't have before, this thought or this impression. And of course, also, one of the places that we always look for God's will is in his word. Habakkuk said, I will look to say what he will say to me. I will look to say what he will say to me. Uh, the number one way that God speaks to every one of us is through his word. Right? So it mentions how powerful prayer is. Now, one of, the, one of the sins, in fact, Samuel prayed, and Samuel prayed, and he said, I will not sin by ceasing to pray. I will not sin by ceasing to pray for you. But yet today we find in the church, we find prayerlessness. Right? And the reason I believe for, there is so much prayerlessness is because of literally bad theology. We, do, we, we, we have bad theology, and that results in prayerlessness. Because when you understand the power of prayer, you will pray. You will pray. And next week, we're going to be talking about the bad theology that so many of us have that keeps us in a prayerless state. Now, it says this in the 17th verse of James 5. Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have, with feelings, affections, desires, a constitution like ours. And he prayed earnestly for it not to rain, and no rain fell on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the heavens supplied rain, and the land produced crops as usual. You know, we think about people in the Bible, as we think about them as being different than us. But the Bible says he had feelings, he had affections, he had constitution, he had desires, just like you and I have. And we sometimes think, well, I'm disqualified. But that is not the case at all. So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray and he gave them the Lord, what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, and, and I may refer to it from time to time as the disciples' prayer. But in the prayer, he says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then at the end, it's in yours be the, the kingdom. Um, Prayer should be about the kingdom. We're praying, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Right? Now, in, in uh, the book of Acts, the first chapter, now, the book of Acts, um, it, it's referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. If you, if you look at it carefully, uh, you think maybe we should rename this book and call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because he's the one who's moving and causing everything to take place. So Luke, 
who many people believe is one of the 12 apostles. He was not. He was a medical doctor, and he traveled with the apostles. But he wasn't an apostle, and he, he wrote two letters. He wrote the gospel according to Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. Now, you know that it is a miracle that they are in the Bible because he wrote them, and no, do- n- no person can read a doctor's handwriting. You know that, right? <laughs> it's just impossible. But he writes both of them to someone by the name of Theophilus. Some, uh, some scholars say, well, Theophilus was perhaps a, a medical doctor like Luke was. The name means friend of God. Theophilus means friend of God. I really believe that he was just writing to every single one of us. And he says in the third verse of the first chapter, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings with many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking to them of things pertaining to. Now, Jesus, risen from the dead, has his disciples for 40 days. What do you think Jesus is going to talk about for 40 days? Answer, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, his his message, his first message, he came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom's here. It's now, it's available, it's for you. It's not sometime in the future, it is now. The disciples, that's what they preached when Philip went to Samaria. It says they believed him as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, this is really the last part of the the book of Acts, it says preaching the kingdom of God. What was he preaching? The kingdom of God, right? Jesus said, I bestow upon you a kingdom, not a religion, a kingdom, just as my Father has bestowed upon me a kingdom. The Bible says we've received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, right? So the idea... That what Christianity is, is, is God's way of getting you out of here and getting you to heaven is totally wrong, right? It's not about getting you out of here. It's about getting heaven in you here and then getting heaven, heaven through you to others. Now, unfortunately, it seems like the disciples didn't really get it. Because this is what they say to him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Jesus didn't say, I'm not going to restore the kingdom to Israel. He just said, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons. Right? But they're still looking for Jesus to establish his earthly kingdom right away, right there. And uh, what they're looking for is they're looking for Jesus to rule and to reign and for them to be ruling and reigning with him. In fact, they're still, they still got that it's about me mentality. You know, in Colossians 1.16, it says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible, invisible, rank after rank after rank of everything, everything got their start in him and finds their purpose in him. Ephesians 1, it's in Christ we find out who we are and what we are living for. You know, everything finds its purpose in him. But they're still looking at it. It's about me. I I want to be up front. I want to get the credit. I want to be in the position. So we need to realize it's not about us. How many of you have ever been to a wedding where the pastor preached for an hour? 
I have, right? And, and, and I'm thinking, would you please shut up? It's not about you. It's about her. She's been thinking about this day almost all her life. And he's been thinking about this night, most of his. But it's not about you. <laughs> you know, a, a man without a purpose who doesn't know his purpose. It's like a ship that has no rudder, just going in every direction. Right? But a big part of prayer, when you look at Jesus' prayer, it's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom coming to us. Not our escaping and going somewhere, but the kingdom coming. Right? Now, if you're a Christian, are you going to heaven? Absolutely. Is it forever? Yes, it is. But Jesus' focus was not on you're getting to heaven. Jesus' focus was on getting the kingdom of heaven in you today and through you to other people. Now, when, whenever we talk about prayer, one of the things that always comes up with prayer, if you look in your Bible, all right, is it's not just our talking to God, but there is a sacrifice or a thanksgiving that goes up to God. Right? In Psalms 116, I was reading in Psalms this week, and I, the seventh verse, it jumped out at me. It says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. There's going to be thanksgiving, right? And then we're going to call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says you enter his gates with thanksgiving. If you were going to go and see the Queen of England, they would give you instructions. They'd say, this is protocol, right? You go in, you can talk to her, but you cannot touch her. Don't try to shake her hand. Don't do this. Don't do that. Well, the Bible gives us protocol for coming to God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Of course, with praise. In Philippians chapter 4, we see the same thing when it talks to us about prayer. In the sixth verse, it says, be anxious for nothing. One translation says, don't worry about anything. I think that's a gr that's, that really grabs it. Don't worry about anything. Now, worry is simply fear in its infancy. Worry is fear. You, you know, there's... Christians recognize a lot of sin, but most Christians don't recognize that worry is sin. In fact, I've met people that felt proud about how much they worried. Man, I just worry all the time. Praise the Lord. No. <laughs> the Bible says don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with supplication and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, uh, I'm a grandpa. I'm a grandpa 19, 19 times. Right? So <clears throat> if I, if I uh, get one, a gift for one of the kids and, and they just take it and take off and go in the other room and play with it, you know, I'm kind of like, eh, no. But, but if I give them a new Lego set and they just put the set down, they come over, they give me a hug, they say, Papa! You are the greatest papa in the world. I love you, papa. I'm like, what else do you want? <laughs> right? Now, no, listen, listen. The Bible says when we pray, we're to do it with thanksgiving. Now, now listen, if, if you, there's two things here. First, if we aren't thankful for what we already have, I guarantee you, 
you will not be thankful for what you get. Right? Which, is a, which is part of the thanksgiving. And the other part of thanksgiving is just saying, God, I thank you, you've heard me. I thank you that, that, that you've heard my request. I thank you, God, the answer is on the way. I'm, I'm believing you. Right? We, we were just talking right before this service. Um, there is a translation I've been trying to find, and we found the transla- we, we, we found the scripture, and they say a translation. All right? But it, it says faith is giving substance to the things that you hope for. Faith is giving substance. You know, when, when we pray and we believe God, that faith is giving substance, and we are thankful. We are thankful. In, uh, then it goes on here in Philippians chapter 4, and it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on or meditate on these things. Now, notice that when we pray, We've been worrying, but now we're not going to worry anymore. We prayed. So the Bible tells us what we're supposed to be thinking about, what we're supposed to be meditating on. In Isaiah 26 and 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You know, we, we cannot be entertaining the thoughts of this world, negative thoughts, thoughts of fear, thoughts of lack, and have the peace of God. We can't, right? So we've got to watch what things we are thinking about. Now, uh, an, another thing that Jesus mentions when he teaches on his disciples on the subject of prayer, he said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Again, in Mark 11, as Jesus is teaching on prayer, he said, uh, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone Forgive him. Whenever you stand praying. One translation says it like this. It says, every time that you pray, every time you pray, if you have anything against anybody, forgive him. And Jesus says, we're to to be forgiven as we forgive. There's a a book in the New Testament, right before the book of Hebrews, that many people don't even know is there. It seems like it's, it's the book of Philemon. It's a very small book. And here's the story. Philemon is, is, is a convert of the Apostle Paul. He has become a friend of the Apostle Paul. Paul has left. He's now in prison. And Philemon has a, a slave who runs away. His name is Onesimus. And he ends up in prison, and Paul wins him to the Lord and disciples him. And now he's writing Philemon. And he he says to Philemon, he says, now, your runaway slave, he says, has become my son in the Lord. He says, I love him. I love him like I love myself. He says, and you need to forgive him. In fact, he doesn't ask him to forgive him. He's like, you forgive him. Now, in that day, In that culture, a runaway slave could not only be punished, but sometimes they were even killed for running away. And he says, you forgive him. Well, Philemon did exactly that. He not only forgave him, he set him free. And later on, 
Onesimus becomes the pastor of the church of Ephesus, where Timothy is the pastor. Now, depending on which Bible scholar you read, it's the largest church in the world. This has between 50,000 and 125,000 members in the church. And he becomes the pastor. And later on is appointed bishop of what is now Istanbul. Right? Many of uh, uh, the, the Catholic Church, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, they, they rever him as a saint. Right? His, he may have looked to somebody like somebody who was useless, but his name actually means beneficial. All right? And it's amazing to me how what God so often does is he takes people that somebody else would overlook and use that person. But I think it's key that he was forgiven and then came into his full purpose. A man by the name of Saul is watching over the first martyr, Stephen, being stoned to death. And as he's being stoned to death, the first martyr, Stephen, prays and said, God, don't hold this against them. I think God listened to that prayer. I know he listened to that prayer. And later, Jesus appeared to that man, Saul, and he became Paul, the greatest of all of the apostles. On the cross, as Jesus is being crucified, he prays and he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. No? It is an example to us. In Romans, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, when you return evil for evil, it is just a continual cycle. But the Bible says the way that you defeat evil, you defeat evil with good. The Bible tells us to pray for them. It says to bless them, to do them good in Jesus' name. Uh, forgiveness is a verb. In other words, it's an action word. It's not just something that you, 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 you inwardly do. Right? It, it, you do do it inwardly. Right? Because forgiveness is from the heart. But it's more than just that. Right? When you forgive somebody, you pray for them. At the least, you pray for them. You bless them. And, and uh, Jesus said, you do them good if you can. Right? You do them good. Right? And, and literally what happens, when you begin to pray for that person, God does something in your heart. He enlarges your heart. Right? Not medically speaking, but spiritually speaking. He enlarges our heart and gives us compassion for that person that has done us, that has done us wrong. And then we can pray just like Jesus prayed and say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Again, Samuel said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. There is so much prayerlessness in the church today. And again, it's because... We have bad theology. And uh, next week, we're going to pick up right here, and we're going to begin to kind of break down, unpack some of the bad theology that's in the church that keeps us from praying, that keeps the kingdom of God from coming into our lives and our families and our community and our church. Say, so would you bow your heads for just a moment?
I think almost everyone in America has heard the gospel in some form. They've heard that, that Jesus arose from the dead. They've heard he was born in Bethlehem. And they have some understanding of that. They may not believe it, but they have understanding. And some believe it, but have done nothing with it. See, the Bible says in John 1, it says, But to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. It's not enough to just know about him. You have to receive him. When the apostle Paul was asked, how does this happen? In Acts 16, this is what he said. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Give yourself up to him. Take yourself out of your own keeping and entrust yourself into his keeping and you will be saved. This applies to both you and your household as well. He was saying, it's not enough that you just know about God. It's not enough that you know that Jesus died and rose again. But what you need to do is you need to receive him. You need to turn your back on your old life and stop living for yourself. You need to begin to live for Jesus. You need to take yourself out of your own keeping and entrust yourself into his keeping. You're no longer directing your life. You let him direct your life. You live for him. You walk with him. And notice what he said. He said, you will be saved. This is for you as well as your household. This is true for any person. So today, if you're here and you're away from God or you're not right with God or you don't know where you stand with God, we're going to pray this prayer together. And if, if you will pray this prayer from your heart with intentionality, when we say amen in a moment, you are going to be right with God. You're going to be forgiven and you're going to be a part of this kingdom. Now, if you came with somebody and you can, would you, would you take hands with that person, please? If you're online and you can take hands with somebody, please do. We're going to pray this prayer together. We're going to pray it out loud. And I want you to make these words your own. Would you repeat this? Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. I give him all of my heart in all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm going to live for Jesus. I turn my back on my old life. I'm not living for myself any longer. Jesus is my king. He's my Lord. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your family, a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.